All right. Well, welcome to another Dissecting Popular IT Nerds, where we're allowed to geek out with our fellow nerds. Um, today, I'm proud to introduce Josh Smallman, who's a cybersecurity ninja. So, Josh, welcome to the show. And please tell us which dojo we want to look out for if we want to get our own cybersecurity black belt. <laughs> uh, so, first of all, I want to say thanks for having me on the podcast, Mike. Uh, once again, my name is Joshua Smallman, or people usually just call me Josh. Um, the dojo, just to answer your question, that dojo is located all the way in Trinidad, because that's where I'm from. I'm located in Trinidad. That's in the Caribbean, beautiful Caribbean island. So anytime you're ready to come over to the dojo, you could probably spend some vacation time as well. All right. Um, I'm working on getting my passport, so uh, hopefully I'll be able to be there very soon. <laughs> Looking forward to it. <laughs> All right. So you wanted to talk to us today about the evolution of cyber. So um, let's start there. Yeah, sure. So um, I've been working in the IT industry for about 15 plus years. So, right. Okay. Uh, worked in various uh, positions, environments. I've worked for ISPs, government agencies, uh, academic environments, you know, you, know, you name it. Uh, for the past three years or so, I've been mostly focused on the cybersecurity side of things, right? Okay. So, uh, you know, uh, what kind of prompted me to uh consider cybersecurity is just uh basically if wherever you look now it seems like somebody's under a cyber attack right there's some cyber breach some um you know something happened in the cyber arena you know so uh, just given the the rise uh the exponential uh increase in the amount of cyber events you know it really started having me thinking about a career in cybersecurity and kind of honing in uh into that specific niche Okay. And so as you um, started to hone in, where did you, where did you start? How did you start in, on that path of cybersecurity? Uh, yeah, good question. So uh, I actually kind of did it in the job that I previously held, right? So I was actually a network specialist uh, for a government agency in my country, in Trinidad. Uh, we were particularly uh, in charge of the education sector, right? So I worked at the Ministry of Education. And um, at that time, in Trinidad in particular, or the general Caribbean, I should say, cybersecurity wasn't really a big thing. You know, it, it, you know we kind of just... Uh, put the two together, like once you're in charge of the network, automatically you deal with security in some level, right? So uh, being in charge of the network there, you know, I started to kind of gravitate more to the cybersecurity side of things. Like, um, so initially back then I dealt with our firewalls and stuff like that, vulnerability scanners and stuff like that. And, um, you know, that that's where I kind of got my first induction, I would say. So it wasn't really a full-fledged cybersecurity role, but it kind of meshed with what I was currently doing at the time. Yeah, and, and you know, kind of cybersecurity was not what it is today back then, because, I, you know, you're right. Um, networking is the fundamental of cybersecurity because if you're not connected if it's you've got an air-gapped computer and it's not connected to anything that one's fairly secure not always <laughs> but right. it's more secure than the networked ones and so we we started off with a lot of things back then but 
really, it was like the antivirus. It was the firewalls. And then, um, you know, it was still um, best practices, like making sure not to change or not to, I mean, to change default passwords and default users. Although that's something that we still are trying to get people to do today is to change those default usernames and passwords. Um, you know, one of the, the first attacks that comes to mind from the uh, 2000s was the, the code red worm. Do you remember that one? Yeah. Yeah. I remember the code red worm as well as the more, the Morris worm that, that kind of comes to mind for me as well, you know, because that was in the days of AppNet, you know, and, um, you know, that was, uh, that was like back in 1988, I believed. Right. So, and that actually happened by accident, you know, because, uh, this, this guy, um, he was a graduate student at Cornell University, uh, Robert Morris, uh, hence the name Morris Worm, right? And he was actually doing a project to test the size of the then internet, ARPNET, right? And so happened, it, it kind of backfired, right? It turned to a worm and it, it created a, a denial of service attack. And it affected 60,000 machines, right? So now it sounds pretty minuscule because we have millions of computers. But back then, that was a pretty big deal because in the days of the ARPNET, you know, we didn't have a full-fledged uh, internet system like we have now. You know, it's basically just used for like research purposes and stuff like that. And also what was notable about that specific, um, you know, cyber event is is that it was the first felony conviction in the US, you know, under the 1986 Computer Fraud and Abuse Act. So I think that's kind of what, um, you know, highlighted that cybersecurity is a crime. You know, you could be charged for uh, being a, a cyber perpetrator or a hacker. Hey guys, this is Phil Howard, founder of Dissecting Popular IT Nerds. I just want to take a few minutes to address something. It has become fairly apparent, I'm sure all of you will agree, over the years that slow vendor response, vendor response times, vendors in general, the, the average is mediocre. Support is mediocre. Mediocrity is the name of the game. Not only is this a risk to your network security, because I've seen vendors on numerous occasions share sensitive information, but there's also a direct correlation to your budget and your company's bottom line. Not to mention the sales reps that are trying to sell you and your CEO and your CFO on a daily basis. That causes a whole nother realm of problems that we don't have time to address. Our back office program at Dissecting Popular IT Nerds, we've put together specifically for IT leadership, and it's on a mission to eliminate this mediocrity. And the best part is that we're doing this in a way that will not cost your IT department a dime. So. If you'd like us to help you out, get better pricing, better support, and jump on pressing issues in minutes, not days, then contact us now so we can get on a, a call with you and conduct a value discovery session where we find out what you have, why you have it, and where you want to go and how we can improve your, your life, your IT department, and your company's bottom line. What you're going to end up with is, number one, just faster support from partners 
who care about your organization's uptime and bottom line. And because you're going to be able to access our $1.2 billion in combined buying power, you'll be able to benefit uh, significantly from historical data. And on top of that, you'll also benefit from the skills of hundreds of on-demand experts that we have working behind the scenes that are all attached to our back office support program. So if you'd like, again, none of this is ever going to cost you a dime. At the very least, it's going to open your, your eyes to what's possible. Let our back office team provide you the high-touch solutions and support that your IT team deserves so that you can stop calling 1-800-GO-POUND-SAND for support. Now, if you're wondering, what does this apply to? This applies to your ISPs, your telecom providers, all your application providers, whether you're a Microsoft shop or a Google shop, what you might be paying for AWS, even Azure, co-location space, any of those vendors that you're paying a monthly bill to, we can help you with. Hey, it's Greg, the Frenchman secretly managing the podcast behind the curtain. To request your one-on-one call, contact us at internet at popularit.net. And remember, it will never cost you a dime. Back in 86, man, 60,000 computers, that was probably, what, 90% or, you know, a very high percentage of the total amount of machines on the network at that that time. Um, What are some of the other early examples of of the cyber attacks and and that evolution that we started to see what are some of the other ones that you can think of right um so we had quite a few on the way another one that kind of stands out for me right is the i love you virus right so (laughs) yeah or the, the love bug right so um that happened somewhere around 2000 i believe right and this one was spread actually through email, right? And it was it originated somewhere in the Philippines. I believe it was two Filipino brothers, you know. Um, and and how it worked actually, it was kind of a bit of social engineering. I mean, it wasn't called social engineering back then, right? But it started with the subject saying, uh, "Love you, I love you," right? So, uh, and it had an attachment with the "I love you" letter, right? So, uh, I mean, it's obvious, you know, back then. Everyone's still new to the whole internet. Who doesn't want to open an email saying with the subject, I love you, right? So, um, right. you know, long story short, it was really a visual basic script that was, uh, you know, uh, basically um, basically hidden as this text file. And once it downloaded, it rapidly infected millions of computers because it propagated itself once you download the script. You know, it would self-propagate and automatically, you know, email other other people on your your contacts list and stuff like that. So, you know, that was that was really a, a big another milestone, I would say, you know, in highlighting cybersecurity, cyber threats, I should say, you know, on the whole. And, you know, just to give a bit of context, you know, like I was looking at st- some statistics, you know, uh, and n- now as it currently stands, uh, it's estimated that in 2023, last year, right, uh, we spent like 11.5 trillion US dollars on cybersecurity, you know, that, that's, that's, that's how much cybercrime costs, right? So coming from the early days, you know, of just, you know, people kind of sort of playing with programs or malicious programs in their dorm rooms or in their basements, you know, cybercrime on the whole has increased dr- dramatically, you know, throughout the years. Oh, yeah. I, I remember that 
and the organization I worked for got hit by one of those email viruses. I don't think it was the I love you, but it did that almost that exact same thing where one person opened it up, opened up the attachment. It then got into their their mailbox, got all of their contacts, emailed itself out to everybody else, and it just propagated across every one of our systems. Um, so luckily for us, this happened on a like a Saturday morning. So unluckily right. for me, it was we had a multi-site setup. And I was running from one city to another and running the antivirus, cleaning it off of the machine. And, you know, that was back in the day when antivirus, you could trust the antivirus to clean it off of the machine and think that it would be safe that you could continue to use that machine. Um, That's no longer the case. At least (laughs) I don't trust any machine that shows up having something like that anymore. Yeah, exactly. Um, Yeah. And so... You know, we started to transition to some more sophisticated kinds of threats and, and more sophisticated means of of trying to detect these. Because those those initial ones that you were talking about are are the worms that are self propagating, and just as soon as one machine's infected, it looks for or, or finds other machines with the same kind of um, vulnerability, and then goes after that. And then there's the the social engineering one of of the uh, email virus, which the business email compromise seems to be. It's still one of the largest money makers out there for for the the uh, nefarious side of this, you know, the the black hats. But um, in uh, the mid 2000s, 2010s, we we had some more sophisticated things, and and we started to have things like snort and and intrusion detection systems. So tell me a little more about that time in your your uh, experience. Yes. Yeah, so um, as you said, you know, um, the early tech security technologies we would have used back in the day, right, was antivirus programs, right? Um, this was a must on, on any computer. And it was sort of a marketing uh campaign uh a lot of vendors used as as well right you know when they when they when they were selling a computer they would be like you know oh this has up-to-date antivirus included free right so you know it was a, for the it first was a 90 big, days <laughs> yeah right so it was like a big marketing campaign as well you know but uh antivirus software was definitely like um one of the first early uh, uh, security technologies. And the thing about them, they have also evolved over the years, as we probably talk about here shortly, right? But the the very uh, first iterations of antivirus software, they basically use signature-based detection, right? So they would have a signature in their database of all the available antiviruses um, at the time. So once it detected that virus, once it matched against that database, it would automatically block that virus, quarantine it, etc. right? So it was primarily signature-based. Throughout the years, you know, this has evolved. Another major uh, thing that we used back in the day was uh, for security was firewalls, right? So um, everyone, you know, most corporate organizations and even the residential to some extent, they had some sort of firewall device on their network. And again, 
the first uh, iteration of those firewalls were stateless, right? Basically, just forwarded based on an IP address and a port number, you know? So uh, these things has also evolved uh, to keep up with the, the you know, the, the other, um, the evolution of the cyber attacks and the cyber technology that we currently have. So like, Towards the mid two thousands, right? Like earlier, they were more uh, domestic, more residential uh, kind of attacks, and they were more, uh, you know, kind of quote unquote for fun. You know, it wasn't really anyone was taking the serious, just trying to test the limits of what computers and what the internet could do, right? But in the mid two thousands, the tra- the strategies kind of changed up or evolved a bit, right? So then we had like major incidences where. Companies like MySpace uh, in 2003, um, uh, MySpace was hacked, right? And they compromised, I think it was something like 300 and something million user accounts, right? They were leaked on the dark web. And I think they were asking some ridiculously low price of a couple bitcoins you know which was like a couple thousand dollars you could buy you know this database this large database of leak usernames passwords credentials from myspace of 360 million uh user accounts right so we start to see a, a a sort of uptick now and where instead of just being fun instead of just testing the boundaries of computers uh, and uh, what they could do on the internet. We're seeing where people are actually making money off of cyber attacks, right? Of cyber crimes, right? Uh, MySpace, another big one was Yahoo, which I'm sure you probably uh, familiar with in 2014. You know, they had a massive data breach as well too. And I think it was a couple, like 3 billion Yahoo user accounts were hacked, right? Again, these things were, were most likely uh, put up for sale on the dark web. You know, and uh, there was a bunch of legal uh, repercussions there as well, too. So definitely from just the homegrown viruses, we were seeing much more sophisticated, you know, type of attacks happening in the mid 2000s and primarily geared for more um, profit making, you know, not just for fun, but to actually make a profit and to target like these large corporations. Right. And, uh, you know, you actually... Now I'm wanting to uh, Google real quick to see when the uh, dark web started up. and But that, that brings up a whole nother aspect of everything because we started leveraging encryption for more and more things. So we're not only are we using firewalls and a majority of us have private networks. So we're, we're using the, um, oh God, I'm trying to think of the, the T1s and, and uh, I'm trying to think of what the designation was before MPLS. Yeah, so we started using a little more of the encryption. VPNs were becoming more more uh, prevalent, and and actually Microsoft started putting the firewalls on the machines before or in the software, um, versus us having to to get um, Symantec or McAfee and their attempts at at a. Uh, firewalls for our application firewalls yes yeah, so um as you said you know everyone was, was trying to do their part in terms of seeing how best they could harden their defenses right so whether it was at the operating system level 
uh, with via patches or built-in antivirus and stuff like that. Uh, 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 also transcending uh, just operating systems, but over to the hardware level where we had better firewalls, we had stateful firewalls uh, that could actually look for patterns in the way the traffic came across if, if it looked like like suspicious, right? So it, was, it went from just uh, packet switching in a sense, right, to now we're actually concerned of how the behavior of this traffic looks, right? So uh, the technology uh, definitely started to evolve, as you as you rightly said. We had people more conscientious about using VPNs, especially if they're using public Wi-Fi and stuff like that. So, yeah, I think, um, you know, definitely in the 2000s, and especially like from 2010, right, the present date, right, there was... Uh, another surge in in, in cybercrime and with a little twist as well, right? Uh, as you probably remember the solar winds uh incident that happened uh somewhere around that period. The the, the date eludes me right now, right? Yeah but solar winds was like yeah. 2020, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, so so like solar winds and we, we saw a lot of uh APTs, right? So advanced persistent threats right that's where they kind of get at instead of just uh infecting your system with a virus right at hackers got pretty clever and they would actually gain a foothold into your network and just stay there you know for for you know an indefinite period of time uh, until you would probably uh you know find them or they would uh, harvest enough data then to uh, in, uh, ask for ransomware, right? So, you know, we start to see definitely a more sophisticated trend in terms of, you know, hackers and these black hats uh, in terms of how they would attack systems and how they would gain access and uh, what they will do with the data, especially. Uh, Solomon's yeah. being one, Stuckneck's being another one. Uh, if you're familiar with Stuckneck's, that happening. 2010 right and this specifically uh focused on scatter systems you know and they basically hacked uh, i believe it was somewhere in russia if i'm not mistaken one of the uh it was iran iran sorry yeah somewhere there <laughs> and um you know where they hacked one of their their plans right and basically crippled all, all their computer resources right so they 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 couldn't um you know harvest and stuff like that this nuclear technology so uh throughout the you know the the mid 2000s to present it there's definitely been a steady evolution of more advanced persistent threats and a lot of ransomware, I would say. You know, that seems to be the hot buzz with now, now especially, but it happened, it started happening even back then. Right. Yeah. I remember that, you know, the first times that I heard about um, ransomware, it was more of that denial of service. But it, and, and actually, I, I want to say that it was focused more towards your, your um, area of the world or where you came from, because there were the Caribbean. Um, gambling sites that were outside of U.S. jurisdiction, but servicing many, um, many of the gambling persuasion in the U.S. And if I could lock down the gambling site for a few hours at the right time, it became worth millions. And I'm only asking for hundreds of thousands in in ransom. Right. Um, it wasn't quite the um, ransomware where they were encrypting things like they are today. 
but it was just doing a denial of service and and keeping you from earning money. So I I threaten you saying, hey, if you don't pay my ransom, I'm going to take you offline. Um, and so we started with some of those. And Stuxnet was an example of a, a different type too, because Stuxnet not only was it you know attack on the SCADA system, but it's one of the first well-known um, state-sponsored attacks. Yeah. So now we're talking um, governments attacking other governments and or entities um, to accomplish their goal versus just somebody trying to make a buck by by getting you to buy. Uh, you know, there's all of the uh, all of the spam stuff, but and or you know the uh, ransom attacks that I was just talking about where they were going to do the denial of service against your website or your business and and keep you from making money to the ransomware that we see today where they're now encrypting they they find a way in as and then they stay inside as that APT that you were talking about that advanced persistent threat wait until they can get a hold of things and and they're evolving and learning they they wait until they can get a hold of your all of your backups and destroy your backups and then they encrypt your system so that you can't just go to your backups and say yeah you know what i'm not paying i'll just restore everything to back before you showed up and and even then how do we know that we've gotten gone back far enough in time yeah because because they've been hiding in the network for a while and and that's like what SolarWinds, the the SolarWinds attack did. You know, they they were they had compromised the supply chain for SolarWinds um, six months before they attacked anyone. They they were just letting their attack proliferate amongst multiple entities. Um, so yeah, it's it's amazing how much it's changed. Yeah, definitely. The landscape is always evolving, you know, um, as you said, you know, with, you know, from the 2000, 2010s to now, right? It's like a lot of more state-sponsored, you know, and politically aligned. Uh, we've seen a, a rise in that type of cybercrime, you know, and, um, you know, it's definitely a, a good business model for the 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 bad actors, right? Uh, like you rightfully said, with ransomware, where, you know, you pay you know, just try, try, join a random number here, $10,000, and we'd give you uh, back your data as opposed to you losing $10,000 every hour, your systems is out of commission. So definitely the, the bad actors, they have become much more intelligent in their demands and their whole business model of, uh, of, of what they're doing with our data once they have it. Yeah, and but on the, uh, on the opposite side of the coin, you know, I've been amazed at how much the cybersecurity and, and the white hat or the uh, blue team, because, you know, there's lots of red and blue teams now, it seems to be um, better than the white and black hat. Right. Um, things that have been developed, uh, things like the uh, MITRE attack framework, where they've taken and listed out every attack that's happened so far that they know of and they've categorized them into very specific types of attacks like the difference between a worm and a virus and a um a ransomware and you know it's just amazing to me all of the different 
um, ways that you can do this. You could become a DFIR, you know, the digital forensics and incident response, or you mm. can be somebody that's doing the threat hunting, or you can be somebody that's trying to, you know, the uh, XDR, um, <laughs> the SASE, the there are so many different aspects to cybersecurity today that it's just overwhelming. No one person can know it anymore. Yeah, that, that's true. It's, it, it went from just being this kind of vague uh, thing that you will normally mesh with network and system administration to being a, a full-blown career path and career paths, I should say, because as you rightly said, there's a whole uh, different subset of career paths that you could take under the umbrella of cybersecurity. And just want to kind of touch on something you mentioned there about frameworks, you know, and uh, I think that as those, um, sorry, frameworks in general have become very much more important within the last, I would say, maybe five years, you know, so as we've seen this steady progression in the rise of cyber related crime, you know, frameworks in general have been because before we were just kind of doing our own thing, right? We were doing antiviruses, we were doing uh, we were doing um, firewall devices, uh, intrusion protection uh, devi devices and stuff like that. But then it's had to evolve now. So, okay, what's the, you know, what's the best process or policy, you know, policy uh, of doing this? You know, what, what policies do we follow or procedures? Is there some sort of standardization, in other words, that we could be uh, best do this, right? And that's where, you know, frameworks, as you said, came in. We had the MITRE. Uh, framework, uh, uh, as well as we had frameworks put out by NIST, right? We had frameworks put out by ISO. We had a bunch of different frameworks come out. We have uh, P PCI DSS, which deals with, you know, payment card industry. You know, how you how you, how you, uh, you uh, deal with customer uh, credit card information and stuff like that. So those things were, aside from the tools, you know, having these necessary frameworks in place was definitely a, a critical milestone in our defense system or mechanism against cyber attacks. We also have things like um, like G, uh, GDPR, you know, how you handle uh, data in the EU union, right? So yeah, frameworks, uh, a lot of the times in cybersecurity, uh, uh, we tend to focus on tools, right? Uh, or we did so at one point in time, at least at the beginning. Uh, to some degree, we still do that, but frameworks are actually uh, a very uh, integral part of the whole process, making sure you align your your system, your your workplace, and your, the systems that you use with a, a framework that is appropriate. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, some of the other people that I've talked to um, on the show about this, you know, we started talking about the policies and and. Not, we weren't using the, the term framework, but we're definitely talking about the policies and the procedures and how, you know, it's it's a, definitely evolved out of just IT's realm because everybody that's sitting at a computer needs to be able to recognize spam and and recognize um, potential threats of that, that attachment that they shouldn't be clicking on. Um, but also then like that NIST framework or some of those that you were talking about. I, I was talking to another gentleman about the NIST 800-171 um, requirements. If 
I'm if my company is a subcontractor to a company that deals with the government, the United States government, I have to, as that subcontractor, I have to meet certain specific um, procedures and policies about password management, about validating my the security, about control, who can access what, who, and there's so much more today. Yeah. Than than just hey let's run an antivirus and make sure that the the computer's clean right or let's let's look at our network traffic do we see any anomalous traffic um, yeah not to mention you know SIEM tools the security event um, incident management tools that are just you know giant log aggregators that then start looking through that which brings up you know that next interesting point and this next evolution that's going to change and rock our world as we are dealing with the um, artificial intelligence Mm -hmm. you know artificial intelligence on both sides we're already trying to use it to look through those logs and find the anomalous events but it's guaranteed that the state-sponsored attacks and and actually even the uh the groups that are trying to just make a buck are starting to leverage that, trying to figure out how they can do more and better. Yeah. Got any, um, yeah, got any that, thoughts on that? <laughs> yeah, definitely. As you said, you know, um, AI seems to be the, the big buzzword right now, right? <laughs> and yeah. it, it's, it's something that everyone is talking about. And I think the introduction of chat GPT, you know, kind of, uh, introduced the masses to AI, you know, although it's been around uh, to some degree in the past, right? But I think ChatGPT and some of these other programs kind of uh, uh, pivoted it to the masses, right? And um, it's a it has two, two sides to that coin, as you said, you know, we have where it could be uh, something great, you know, in terms of helping our defense systems, right? So in terms of uh, pattern recognition and stuff like that, you know, having AI would, would be great because they can read machine code and stuff like that greater than any any human could ever do, right? So, yeah, you know, they have the faster. Yeah, so they, they definitely have the potential, you know, having AI definitely has the potential to reduce like false positives and stuff like that. As well as, you know, just to speed up the overall incident response and recovery, right? AI could automate a lot of actions that would normally be done manually. You know, we could have this done by AI now, you know. Uh, it also, uh, it, it could also uh, probably help in some extent to create an, uh, uh, phishing campaigns, uh, uh, sorry, uh, like training, you know, phishing training could use, uh, AI could be used um create simulated uh, events and stuff, you know, if we're looking at our security awareness program, which most companies are doing right now, you know, definitely using AI there could help improve that process. On the other side of the coin, you know, AI now, they could be, it could be used in uh, very nefarious ways, right? So like, you know, automated malware campaigns, right? So cyber criminals could employ AI to do this, you know? So it, instead of you having to have a team of hackers or uh, cr- uh, cyber criminals, you know, one person through the aid of AI could do something that 20 people would have normally have to do, you know, that could be done to one person and just having the right AI tools at their disposal, right? Uh, also, uh, something 
pretty interesting there's a lot of deep fake videos i'm not sure if you saw you know a lot of these things circulating where they imitate like donald trump and other other politicians and you know and ai is getting so realistic you know you really have to look twice to see is this really this person saying this or is this an ai generated video so beside actually creating and crafting the attacks we have ai in this other uh, you know, in you know, this other kind of spin off category where we have to look now if what we are seeing, you know, the data we are actually looking at, is it real or is it something uh, for a developed by AI? Yeah. And it's, and it's not something that we can just look at or watch with the human eye and, and pick up on or recognize. It's, they're getting so good at this. Um, you know, I, I'm trying to remember which government it was uh, or who it was, but there was um, an example of uh, a couple taking their daughter to the movies and suddenly their their daughter was put on the screen in the movie theater and they used AI to advance her age and to show different threats that are happening because the parents were being very um, open and sharing in social media about the child and their lives and they started showing all of these different things that are happening today and and through the use of ai and um the different things that could happen to their child because they're sharing all of this stuff through social media and yeah. it was just one of those things of just trying to help make people aware of the amount of information that we're sharing today which you know, it it's deviates a little bit from our topic of the cybersecurity, but it's it's a different level of security. It's that personal security. Um, it's not even just attacking my wallet, it's attacking my reputation or my mental health. Because if yeah, if you haven't seen this or heard of what I'm talking about, um you, you need to go look it up and and find out. Um and, and I wish I had the uh, the name of it real quick to give to you. Um, our world has changed for sure. Mm -hmm. And then the uh, the use of AI. You know, I don't think that that Chat GPT really brings home the difference or the threat that that we're going to see in cybersecurity because of this. Um, but it does show how like. For the longest time, the phishing attacks, you're, I've always been watching for bad English or misspelled words or, you know, um, sayings out of the, the normal idiom and taking that email and throwing it to chat GPT and saying, hey, make this sound like uh, conversational English or American English and make sure that there's no misspelling in it. ChatGPT is going to give them emails that are going to tell us, hey, your package is late or you're, you need to open up this invoice because you're overdue. And, and there's not going to be those clues except for things like the email header or the email address. And we're going to have to look at those details to be able to catch those. Yeah, um, you know, definitely cybersecurity awareness, you know, often overlooked, but definitely would play uh, a major uh, role in how we move forward, especially with AI in the mix, you know, uh, cyber criminals are getting more and more smart and employing AI makes it that more, much more difficult to detect, you know, what is real from what is, is not real and what is nefarious, right? So 
uh, as you said, you know, having uh, been more aware, you know, so I think uh, each company, you know, any company or organization out there, you know, having a robust security awareness program and there are certain key solutions from a lot of vendors out there. Right, uh, Meta compliance and some of these other vendors offer turnkey solutions, but definitely having, uh, from a business perspective or company's perspective, having some sort of professional security awareness program is 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 no longer optional, but it's mandatory for any company. And just a pers- on a personal note, you know, on a personal level, you know, we too should uh, seek to better be able to be informed about these things as well uh, and inform our families by extension, right? You know, because a lot of us have kids uh, other family members that may not necessarily know the harms and dangers of the uh, cyber cyber world that we have out there nowadays. So definitely uh, being better aware, you know, and having that knowledge in hand is is ad- adequately um, important as, as the, the various tools that we have discussed. At Dissecting Popular IT Nerds, we expect to win and we expect our IT directors to win. And one of those areas where we know that we can help you win is internet service providers. As an IT director tasked with managing internet connectivity, few vendor relationships can prove more painfully frustrating than the one with your internet service provider. The array of challenges seems never ending from unreliable uptime and insufficient bandwidth to poor customer service and hidden fees. It's like getting stuck in in rush hour traffic, dealing with ISPs can try one's patience even on the best of days. So whether you are managing one location or a hundred locations, our back office support team and vendor partners are the best in the industry. And the best part about this is none of this will ever cost you a dime due to the partnership and the sponsors that we have behind the scenes at Dissecting Popular IT Nerds. Let us show you how we can manage away the mediocrity and hit it out of the park. We start by mapping all of the available fiber routes, and we use our 1.2 billion in combined customer buying power in massive economy of scale to map all of your locations, to overcome construction fees, to use industry historical data, to encourage providers to compete for the lowest possible pricing, to negotiate the lowest rates guaranteed, and to provide fast response times in hours, not days. And we leverage aggregators and wholesale relationships to ensure you get the best possible pricing available in the marketplace. And on top of all of this, you get proactive network monitoring and proactive alerts so that you're not left calling 1-800-GO-POUND-SAND to enter in a ticket number and wonder, why is my internet connection down? In short, we are the partner that you have always wanted who understands your needs, your frustrations, and knows what you need without you having to ask. So we're still human, but we are some of the best and we aim to win. This all starts with a value discovery call where we find out what you have, why you have it, and what's on your roadmap. All you need to do is email internet at popularit.net and say, I want help managing all of my internet garbage. Please make my life easier and we'll get right on it for you. Have a wonderful day. Where do you go on a daily basis to learn more and to stay um in tune with what's going on today right so i actually subscribe to a bunch of different podcasts and programs uh a really nice one is bleeping computers okay yeah. sure you probably heard of them yeah, yeah oh so yeah <laughs> that pretty 
Yeah, they, yeah, they they are pretty um you know up to date with anything tech related, specifically also in cyber related incidents. You know, so bleeping computers, you know, it's it's fairly easy and digestible to read. So like even you know the common person who's not necessarily uh, involved in IT per se, you know, but they they could actually you know. Uh, be able to digest that information and, and find it uh, useful. So I, I subscribe to like bleeping computers. Uh, uh, professionally, I follow a lot of people in the works in the space, cyberspace, TCM security. They have been a great resource to me. Actually, I'm currently doing some of my um, cybersecurity related courses with them. TCM security, uh, they are on YouTube as well, and they have a whole academy, you know, uh, uh, designated to cybersecurity certification, career paths and stuff like that. They're, they're great. Uh, and there's a bunch of other platforms out there. You know, if you're specifically into the whole cybersecurity side of things and you're looking to practice and stuff like that, we have like TriHackMe and Hack the Box and some of these other platforms that are pretty yeah. useful as well. One of my favorite ones is Sans, S A N S. Yeah, Sans is it as well. Yeah, yeah, they've they've got lots of great information. And actually, you know, I was watching an event with them around the whole solar winds, and that's when I really became aware of how much the cybersecurity arena had changed in the last five years. It's just amazing to me um i've been paying attention to it my my whole career because like i found out who the freakers were and what the original hacks were and and how they what you know what the significance of the number 2600 is and and the uh, captain crunch whistle um, right and so you know the the true cyber nerds will know what i'm talking about <laughs> on those ones um Josh, you got anything that you want to leave us with today? Uh, are there any last thoughts? Um, yeah, um, just kind of in closing, I would say, you know, just some things that, you know, people on the whole could do to strengthen their cybersecurity defenses, right? I would say uh, for, mo for companies especially, right, uh, do conduct a comprehensive risk assessment, Right. So sometimes you may not necessarily have the in-house expertise to do that. That's fine. They we you could contract that out. There are a lot of consultants and people in that in the cybersecurity space that offer that. But I really think that's the first step you want to take to build and strengthen your cybersecurity defenses because that shows you gaps that you may not be able to identify, right? Having a third party look at potential vulnerabilities and, and their impact, you know, would give you a better understanding of of uh before you actually implement a bunch of stuff because uh, a lot of the times i would tend to see the reverse and maybe you can identify with this mike but uh everyone gets on the cybersecurity bandwagon and we go ahead and we procure all the latest technologies uh, and stuff like that without really taking the time to do a comprehensive risk assessment right and i would liken it to you know taking vitamin supplements because you know at the point of time i was pretty big on that right and i would i would just go on amazon 
full of micas with a bunch of different vitamins uh, and just take it right and eventually i i came across this pretty uh you know pretty knowledgeable physician and he told me you know what you're doing there you're basically one wasting money right and two wasting the vitamins because a lot of those things would just come out your system right it you know what he suggested was i do a blood test to let me know what i'm lacking in what specific vitamins and minerals i'm deficient in and then based on that you know i i go ahead and uh purchase my vitamins anyways you know similar to cyber security instead of going out there and just purchasing all the shiny gadgets you know first i would think you know having a comprehensive risk assessment is definitely should be your first thing on the list secondly i would say implement multi-layer defense uh, uh systems right mechanisms in place right so uh this would be basically tailored to your environment you know but the idea is to have multiple levels of security right so we want to have security at the network layer this might be a firewall device and now we have next generation firewalls that kind of do everything you know in terms of ids id ips and stuff like that uh also you know it might so the network layer the endpoint layer the transmission layer right so definitely you know don't think you know it's it's just buy one product and that's it or do this one thing and you're secure you definitely want to have a defense in depth sort of a model you know so be secure at at, at multiple layers uh third uh, i would say educate and train your employees and i know we touched on this already but definitely uh consider having a security uh an awareness uh plan in your organization if not uh if you don't have it already for uh stay up to date with patches and security updates right and i think this was even from the early days this one was like a big thing but it's still relevant now you know make sure your systems are always up to date make sure it's patch uh make sure you have all the latest security updates because you know every week or so we we find some new vulnerability in windows or some of these operating systems you know and the only way we could really be protect ourselves is if we patch it because uh Chances are Microsoft will release a patch uh, once they find that that particular vulnerability, you know, and um, leveraging encryption, uh, data protection measures. We we already spoke about that, and um, you know, I would say last but not least, just conduct regular security audits. Right, this this is an ongoing thing. The uh, security cybersecurity landscape is always changing always evolving now is ai now is machine learning you know tomorrow might be some bright uh, uh shiny new thing right so definitely you want to conduct regular security audits uh in your organization you know just to make sure you are uh, uh, uh you're relevant in terms of what protection you currently have and what mechanisms you currently have yeah, I think that that those security audits that you're talking about that that just brings you full circle back to that assessment because you got to know where you're at and you have to get that honest evaluation of where am I today, how secure, how vulnerable am I today, and right. then you start working towards that the level of security that you want. Um, yeah. But but you've got to constantly check that because a, a one time penetration test uh or a once a year penetration test it really isn't enough you've got to constantly be on guard for any of the new things that have been added um you talked about doing the updates the updates are more than just the 
OS. It's you've got to be watching for the updates for every application that's on your network. Yeah. Every application, even if it's a one-off on one person's computer, because what happened with the um oh uh the password keeper, not password keeper, but but the uh the other one that that everybody loved so much and and it was one developer's laptop that got compromised. And once his was compromised, then they got a hold of the uh the encryption keys and they were able to get much deeper into that. So it was just, you know, just a single machine, but the whole company at risk. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. And, and you know, last but not least, just to kind of say security, a lot of times people think it's an IT thing or a security department thing. And that's far from the truth, right? It's a, it's a everyone thing, right? Everyone at the end of the day, we need to take a you know, some sort of measures in place for security, you know, to ensure that we are, we are secure. You know, simple thing as you find in a flash drive in the parking lot, maybe it's not a good idea to take it to work and plug it into your computer, right? You know, it's so, not a good idea you know, to take it home and plug it into your oh, computer. To any computer, <laughs> to any computer, yeah. right? So, so definitely. And, unless you yeah. put some prophylactics out there so that you protect <laughs> the machine that you're putting it into and right. and you know that it's a potential threat because uh, yeah yeah oh wow all right i found a 48 gig um <laughs> usb yay right oh, man. <laughs> yeah so definitely it's a personal thing you know and each yeah. of us have our personal responsibility you know in terms of cybersecurity. And and that's definitely something that is not a one and done, just like those assessments and, and the audits. It's a continuous thing. The yeah. education about the current threats and what's happening, it's actually one of the cheapest things and probably one of the best things that, that any organization can do is to continue to teach their employees what the constant threats are, what the current threats are, what the past threats are, and try to help them be aware to watch out for those future threats. Yeah, so true. Well, Josh, it's it's been a great conversation with you today. I, I truly appreciate your time. Um, one more chance. Any any last thoughts that you want to share with the audience and and about being a cybersecurity ninja? <laughs> Um, I would say, you know, if you're looking into cybersecurity, you know, um, I would say, you know, go full throttle, right? You know, don't feel intimidated in any way. Uh, there's a lot of things out there, a lot of resources out there. YouTube uh, is is full of a lot of free resources, particularly if you're looking to get into some of the cybersecurity um, spheres, you know, and get knowledge. Uh, I just shamelessly plug in my own channel here. You know, I have By a YouTube mean, channel. Do. Yeah, I have a YouTube channel, Joshua's Tech Tips, you know, and there I discuss, you know, cybersecurity system uh, administration, network administration, and a bunch of different things pertaining to tech, you know. So, um, you know, I, by all means, feel free to check it out if you're interested in any of those sorts of things. All right. You guys heard it. Joshua's Tech Tips, correct? Uh, your, yeah. As your YouTube channel. All right. Well, let's see if we can drive some traffic there. <laughs> yeah. Right, and well. thank, thank you, Mike, for having me. It's been a pleasure speaking with you as well. And I, I, I did hope I, I added some value to the podcast.
Oh, I'm sure you did. So as we come to a close on another Dissecting Popular IT Nerds, I want to invite all of our listeners to comment and rate the podcast on the iTunes store or wherever you're grabbing your copy of the podcast from. Make sure to swing by Joshua's uh, YouTube channel. And uh, we really appreciate the support of the program and the time you invested in nerding out with us geeks. So thank you, everyone. (laughs) 